How do I want our church described? I thought about that. What should we want people in the community saying about Longview Point? How do we want our church described? Do we want our church described as prominent, important, influential, a trendsetter? Is that how we want our church to be described? What if our church was described as a bunch of nobodies for Jesus. Wouldn't that be a good description? A bunch of ordinary folks excited about an extraordinary gospel. A a bunch of normal folks that stand in awe of their Savior and can't help but talk about Him to others. Wouldn't that be a great way for Longview Point Baptist Church to be described? A bunch of nobodies for Jesus. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about how we become a bunch of nobodies. How we live out that spiritual posture in our day-to-day lives and as a local family of faith. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, we're going to study a larger passage, but for our opening scripture reading this morning, we're going to begin reading in verse 34. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor and reverence of the reading of God's word. Truth with no mixture of error. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, the Bible says, And calling the crowd to him, this is Jesus, with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Let's pray together this morning. Father, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. And we are gathered here today as a faith family to bow our hearts and our wills and our lives to you. We come expecting you to speak to us in this moment. We come expecting you to transform our lives. And so Lord, I ask you just to have your way. Move in our midst by your spirit. Take your word and grip our hearts with it that we might be transformed. Lord, we don't want to leave this room the same way as when we walked in today. So Lord, have your way in our midst for the glory of your great name. Help us to understand this passage, Father. Help this passage to come alive in our lives because it is is so vital. It is so critical. 
It is so important for all of us in this room. And so, Lord, do that work in our midst. We ask and pray it all in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Last week, we all began a journey through a book of 14 devotions. The name of the book is Nobody's for Jesus, 14 Days Toward a Great Commission Lifestyle. And we've encouraged you to get that book. We've sold them here at the church. I think we have a few copies left. And we encourage you, if you didn't want to buy a hard copy, to buy a digital version, uh, maybe in, through Amazon or your Kindle, something of that nature. And starting last Sunday, we began day one of those devotions. Now, the first section of those devotions is titled, Be Amazed. And so I preached on that last Sunday. I I preached on the idea that you and I ought to be amazed by Jesus because if we are amazed by Jesus, we will not be able to help but to tell others about him. When you're amazed by something, you want to share what you're amazed by, right? And if you're amazed by Jesus, you will naturally, compellingly want to share Jesus because you are so amazed by him. We talked about that last week. Well, the second part of the devotion, which you should have gotten into this weekend, is titled, be a nobody. And uh, the writer of the devotion, Chuck Lawless, makes this point. One of the reasons that we don't share Jesus with others is because we're far too concerned with man's approval. We're, we're far too concerned with our reputation. And we don't, want to think, we don't want somebody to think that we're some crazy radical religious nut. And so because we're so concerned about what others think about us... We just are quiet with the gospel. We don't share Jesus. And so his point in the devotion and my point in the sermon is, if we're going to share Christ with others, we've got to learn to become a nobody. Now, the third part of the devotion is titled, Do Something. And next Sunday, our Global Impact Conference begins. And the the theme of the entire conference, Sunday through Wednesday, is Do Something. So we'll come next Sunday with our hearts prepared. We've been going through this devotion together. I can't wait to see what God's going to do through our Global Impact Conference. You do not want to miss next Sunday and Sunday night and Monday night, Tuesday night and Wednesday night, our Global Impact Conference. You will be blessed. But this morning, I want us to focus in on this passage in Mark, and I want us to think about how we can be a nobody. Now, here's something important as we get ready to read these passages. Notice in verse 34... That Jesus said, or the Bible says, he called the crowd to him with his disciples. So what he's about to say about becoming a nobody was not just for his 12 disciples that followed him around during his three-year earthly ministry. These commands are for all followers of Christ. He wanted the, the larger crowd to hear what he was about to say concerning becoming a nobody. So these things we're going to read this morning are for you and they are for me. And I just simply want to answer this question with three answers. Number one, how can I become a nobody for Jesus? Number one, realization. The question is, how can I become a nobody for Jesus? Number one, you got to realize some things. Realization. Look what it says back in verse 27 to establish the wider context of the passage that we read. It says that Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Which, by the way, is a great question for all of us to answer. This morning, you're here at Longview Point. 
God has brought you here for this moment. The question that determines the, the, the abundance of your life here on earth and where you will spend eternity is this. Who do you say that Jesus is? And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And there in verse 29, Peter answered him, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You're the one that God promised to send to be a Savior, a Redeemer for the world. You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So before Jesus goes uh, toward the cross, towards Jerusalem, where he would be betrayed and arrested and beaten and mocked and crucified, before all of that happened, as he gets ready to journey back to that city, Jesus wanted his disciples to have a crystal clear idea, a crystal clear awareness of who he was. So he asked the question, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, you are the Christ. Now here's what you need to understand if you're going to be a nobody. You need to understand that Jesus is the only somebody. Jesus is the only somebody. If he's the only somebody, there's no more room for other somebodies, Right? So let's stop trying to be somebodies because there's only one somebody. His name is Jesus. There's only one somebody. Let me tell you why he's a somebody, all right? Number one, because of who he is. Because of who he is. He wanted his disciples to understand that he was the Christ, the one promised by God in the Old Testament to be sent to this earth to come and die for the sins of the world. He wanted to understand that he was the Son of God. He was the Son of Man. He was the, the pre-existent Christ that came and took on human flesh so that he could die for our sins. He wanted them to understand his nature. And, and if you want to understand that Jesus is somebody, you need to understand there's never been anyone like Jesus. Jesus Christ is fully God, and Jesus Christ is fully man. And Jesus Christ is the only hope for humanity because he's the only one that went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. And he's the only one that rose from the grave after his death on the cross. And so Jesus is the only somebody because of who he is. But secondly, because of what he has done. Because of what he has done. Look what it says in verse 31. He began to teach them about we're teaching that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Isn't it interesting that Jesus knew exactly what was coming? Several times in the Gospels, Jesus uh, tells his disciples, here's what's going to happen. We're going to get to Jerusalem, going to be betrayed, going to be arrested, going to be killed, going to be beaten. And he reminds them again in this passage of his coming crucifixion. But then he also reminds them, remember, after three days, you're going to be sad. You're going to be, you're going to be downtrodden. But after three days, I will rise from the grave. He's speaking here of his death and his burial and his resurrection. So we should be amazed. We should know that Jesus is the only somebody because of what he has done his work the cross the resurrection the empty tomb because of what jesus has done you and i can be forgiven of our sins right because of the finished work of christ you and i can be redeemed and reconciled to a holy god because of what jesus christ has done we can go to heaven when we die that's pretty significant right and so we should know that jesus is the only somebody because of who he is his character and nature 
and what he's done. His finished redemptive work. Which leads us to this conclusion. Because of his nature and his work, Jesus deserves highest praise, now watch this, and all glory. In other words, because Jesus is the only somebody, his glory should not be shared with us. He's the one that should get all of the glory. In other words, you and I need to come to this realization. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our church being influential and prominent. It's all about Jesus. And when people come in contact with Longview Point Baptist Church, whether we are gathered here on a Sunday morning or whether we are scattered in the community, when they come across a Longview Point worship service or connect group or individual member out there living life, they should walk away thinking about the one somebody, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only somebody. Chuck Lawless says this in his devotion. He writes, If you want to be a Great Commission Christian, you must lay your name down and lift up his name alone. You must be willing to be a nobody for Jesus. So you say, wait, how do I get to that place of of being a nobody? You need to realize the greatness, the grandeur, the majesty, the uniqueness The awesomeness of Jesus Christ. That's step number one. But here's the second answer to that question. How can I become a nobody for Jesus? The second word is invitation. Invitation. Jesus invites us to some things in this passage that we should take seriously. Jesus calls us to three things in the scriptures that we read together this morning. First of all, Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. Look what it says In verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone, anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Now that phrase in the the original Greek language in which it was written is interesting. Let him deny himself. The the word there is aparneomai. And when it's used with reflexive pronoun, which is the word himself, It means something like to forget one's self. It means, listen, to lose sight of one's self and one's interest. To just lose sight of self-interest. Because you're so concerned with his interests. Deny ourselves. That's what we are called to do. Now, here's the principle that you need to get with me this morning. Ready? We cannot live for self and Jesus at the same time. Listen, it's just not going to happen. Living for self and living for Jesus are mutually exclusive. Now, we try. We try to, we try to kind of, um, you know, we try to kind of come up with a type of Christianity that allows us to live for self and Jesus at the same time, but it never works out. Because that kind of Christianity produces lukewarmness. And Revelation tells us what Jesus thinks about lukewarmness. He wants to spit it out of his mouth. It makes him sick, right? And so we need to stop trying to design a Christianity that, that promotes self while at the same time allows us to maybe tip our hat to Jesus. That, that's getting it all backwards. You, listen, you cannot live for self and for Jesus at the same time. 
And so we must be willing to lay aside our agendas and ambitions for his plan for our lives. That's what it means to deny self. Lay aside our plans, our agendas, our ambitions for his plan for our lives. Now, listen, if you love Jesus, if you're pursuing him, he'll give you a passion for those things that are his plan for your life. But if you're living for self, you'll be passionate about all the wrong things and you'll miss God's will for your life. And so when I say deny yourself, I'm saying you got to be willing to lay aside what you want to discover what God wants. And if you'll pursue God, what God wants will be the passion of your life too. And that's where you find fulfillment. That's where you find meaning. That's where you find purpose, right? But there's got to be this desire, this willingness to, to deny self. Are you willing... Listen, are you willing to lay down self as your primary consideration in life so that Jesus will be your primary consideration in life? There's a second invitation here. Not only does Jesus call us to deny ourselves, but Jesus calls us to die. It gets even more striking. Look at the language that Jesus uses in verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Make no mistake about it. The cross was the primary method that the Roman Empire used to execute people to carry out the death penalty. In in the first century, the cross was not some, some object that people wanted to just wear around their neck because it looked nice. It was an instrument of death. In, in modern day equivalency, it'd be like us wearing a, 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 a necklace with a, a, little, a little electric chair at the bottom. That would be startling to folks, right? Why are you wearing an instrument of death? So when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's not talking about, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the difficulties of life. I've just got to bear this cross. You know, I, I had to park, you know, uh, three aisles away from Walmart, and I had to walk in. I got to bear that cross. That's not, that's not what he's talking about, all right? He's talking about dying to self. He's talking about death. To, to, to take up our cross, here's what it means, is to surrender all to Jesus, no matter the cost. Because when you surrender all to Jesus, sometimes it's going to cost you something, Right? It may hurt, just like the cross was, uh, was an instrument of suffering in Jesus' life. When you follow Jesus, you may suffer too. Now, that's the place of fulfillment and purpose, but following Jesus is never, never uh, described as easy in the Bible. Never. It may be difficult when you surrender all to Jesus. So you've got to be willing to surrender all to Jesus and follow Jesus no matter what it costs you. That's what it means to die to self. A true Christ follower, listen, is willing to lay aside earthly achievements, accolades, and applause for the cause of Christ. A nobody. Even if no one thinks I'm something, I'm going to follow Jesus. 
and just be a nobody for him. And nobody may applaud me and nobody may give me accolades, but I've got one life to live and it's really short and I'm going to live it for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to die to self. Donald English writes, Jesus is not using cross-bearing to describe the human experience of carrying some burden through life. It is much more comprehensive than that. People carrying crosses were people going to execution. Cross-bearing as a follower of Jesus means nothing less than giving one's whole life over to following him. So if you're going to be a nobody, you've got to deny yourself and you've got to be willing to die to self. Pretty serious business, right? There's a third calling here. The third is this. Follow him. Deny self, die, and then follow him. Look what it says in verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To follow Jesus means that Jesus has your total allegiance and affection wherever he might lead you. So once you've laid down self as your primary consideration... And once you've put to death the desire for accolades and applause, and you're willing to follow Jesus no matter the cost, now you're ready to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Now you're ready to follow him wherever he might go. You know, we sing the the hymn often in our response time. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Question, can you sing that song and mean it? That's what he means when he says, follow me. Can you follow Jesus wherever he might lead? It's a calling, it's an invitation from Christ. And so here's, here's the invitation, the second part of this, this answer to the question, how do I become a nobody for Jesus? The invitation of Jesus is to become a nobody by the world's standards. Now, listen, you're made in the image of God. Your life has value and meaning and worth. God loves you greatly. So in that respect, you're a somebody because God loves you, right? Jesus sent his son to die for you. But by the world's standards, by the world's standards, you must be willing to become... A nobody. Because when you're following Jesus, the world will sneer at you. Ralph Waldo Emerson is quoted as saying, For nonconformity, the world will whip you with its displeasure. Are you willing to follow Jesus even if the world pours out its displeasure on you and thinks you're a Jesus freak and a religious nut? Are you willing to lay down desire for reputation because Jesus is preeminent in your life? David Platt writes this. He talks about the call to follow him that he gives his disciples in Matthew 4. His simple call in Matthew 4 to his disciples, follow me, contained radical implications for their lives. Jesus was calling them to abandon their comforts all that was familiar to them and natural for them. He was calling them to abandon their careers. They were reorienting their entire life's work around discipleship to Jesus. Their plans and dreams were now, I love this, 
were now being swallowed up in his. What does it mean to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus? It means that your plans and dreams are being swallowed up in his. That's what it means. He writes, ultimately, Jesus was calling them to abandon themselves. They were leaving certainty for uncertainty, safety for danger, self-preservation for self-denunciation. In a world that prizes promoting oneself, they were following a teacher who told them to crucify themselves. You thought about that? Our world says, promote yourself. Promote yourself. It's all about you, right? The world revolves around you. Promote yourself. Do what's best for you. But Jesus said, crucify yourself. Because ultimately, it's all about me. That's what Jesus said. I uh, listened to a tape years ago by Richard Blackaby, the son of Henry Blackaby. It was a two-part, I dated myself, tape, cassette, It was a two-part series on leadership. Now I was listening to him talk about leadership, and he he told about a time when he was pastoring a a church in Canada, and and he was praying fervently for revival. He was asking God to send a, a great revival to his church and a great revival to that community, a great revival to that area. But nothing seemed to be happening. It just... You know, just, just everybody was kind of going through the motions, and he was praying for a mighty movement of God. And so he was spending some time alone with God one day, and he said, It was as if the Lord impressed upon his heart this Richard, if I sent a great revival to you and your church, you wouldn't be able to handle it right now. You don't have the character for a great revival. Because as soon as I began to move in mighty ways, you would want to tell everybody that. It, that it was happening at your church. And you'd want to promote it. And you'd want to tell everybody about it. you want to write books about it. Great Revival in Canada by Richard Blackaby. And he said the Lord showed him that he did not have the character to handle a great movement of God because it was all about him. And he had to die to self and ask God to do something extraordinary. And God did when it became all about Jesus, when he was willing to become a nobody. Listen, what if we prayed for a great revival and God sent it to, a, to a, through another church? Would that be okay? We're nobodies serving the one somebody for the glory of his great name. And so you say, wait, how do I become a nobody for Jesus? you, you got to realize some things. Realization, invitation, answer the, the call of Christ to deny self, take up your cross, follow him. Here's the third and last thing. Wait, how do I become a nobody for Jesus? Motivation. Jesus doesn't just leave us with his call in this passage. He gives us some motivation to spur us on to make the right choice. And, and these are striking verses. I mean, these are in-your-face, powerful words from Christ. Look what he says in verse 35. Here's motivation number one. For, for, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. For or because whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Motivation number one, this is in your notes. Someone that lives a self-centered life, trying to save their life, 
Someone that lives a self-centered life, completely occupied with the things of this world, will miss eternal and abundant life. It's a powerful motivation, right? If you're going to live just for you, and, and, and you don't care about the things of Christ, you are proving by that decision that you are not a follower of Jesus. And if you die in that condition, lost and in your sins and far from God, you will spend eternity in that awful place called hell. You're trying, to, you're trying to build up your life. You're trying to save your life. But in the end, you'll go to hell. The ultimate death. And you miss out on the abundance of living for Jesus in the here and now. So if you try to save your life, life becomes all about you. You're preoccupied with self. You don't care about the things of Christ. You know what? You're missing abundant life and you will miss eternal life if you die in that condition. That's pretty serious, right? Christ is, it's like he's throwing a, a cup of cold water in our face trying to get our attention. Wake up! Wake up! This is not religious talk. How are you going to live your life? That's motivation number one. R. Kent Hughes writes, Narcissism is the order of the day as multitudes ease their souls into a living death by the respectable vice of selfishness. You know what? You can live for self and be a fine, upstanding citizen and a respected neighbor and a wonderful co-worker, but you can live that way and miss life. You're trying to hold on to your life, but you're really going to lose it. The only way to find eternal life and abundant life is in Jesus Christ. Here's the second motivation to die to self, to become a nobody. People that live for the things of the world will realize how futile those things are in the light of eternity. Look what Jesus says in verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I mean, what if life is all about you and you're pursuing self-interest and making your life more comfortable and making your life more prosperous and making your life better and it's just all about you? What if you do that but then you die and your soul goes to hell? What does all of that stuff mean now? Look what he says in the next verse. For what can a man give in return for his soul? The answer is nothing. Once you stand before the judge... If you're lost, if you haven't been redeemed by Christ, you can't say, well, God, let me buy my way out of this mess. No. You will go to hell and your stuff won't go with you. And so this is a motivation. This is a motivation. Follow me. Why would you you chase the things of this world when when they'll mean nothing to you in eternity? You'll see how futile those things are. I think about somebody like Steve Jobs. Founder, CEO of Apple, wildly rich, a great creative mind. I use products all the time, every day, that came from his mind. I mean, just, just God's common grace on him to give him that kind of mind. And, 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 and presided over a company that was just bringing in billions of dollars. But let me ask you a question. You think Steve Jobs is looking for his iPhone in eternity? Of course not. Because in eternity, those things don't matter. 
All that matters in eternity is what you've done with Jesus here in this life. And so the second motivation is understand how futile the things of this world will look when we get to eternity. And if you lived your whole life chasing stuff and you miss Jesus, oh, what a, what a sad day that will be. Here's the third motivation. People that care about their lives more than the Savior will experience eternal judgment. He gets even more focused. Look what he says in verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In other words... If life is all about you and you're ashamed of Jesus or identifying with Jesus, that is a sure indication that you're not a follower of Jesus. That's pretty direct, isn't it? Do you hear? Let me say it again. If you live your life all, and it's all about you and you're ashamed of Jesus and identifying with Jesus, that's a sure indication you're not a follower of Jesus. He says it here. I mean, this is what he says. If you're ashamed of me, if you're ashamed to identify with me, on judgment day, I won't embrace you as my child. I won't embrace you as my follower. If you didn't want me in this life, you won't have me in eternity. Pretty serious stuff. So he's saying, don't make that mistake. Follow Jesus and live for his glory and, and identify with him. A true follower of Christ will not be ashamed of Christ. Let me sum all this up by saying this. Those that become nobodies for Jesus live lives of purpose. This is just one more motivation. We we talked about three negative motivations. Look at the positive motivation. Look what it says in verse 35. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That's, That's the positive. If you lay down your life to follow Jesus... And for the sake of the expansion of the good news about Jesus, that's where you'll find life. Come in real close for a moment. Do you want your life to matter? Do you want your life to count for something? Jesus said the only way to find life is by living for his sake. And for the gospel's sake, everything else is just stuff. Right? It's just stuff. Those things that so occupy our hearts and our minds and our, and our soul, it's just stuff. You find purpose, you find life, you find meaning when you follow Christ and you live to, to share his gospel. That's where you find life. The purpose of following Christ is to glorify his name and to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel? The gospel is very clear. Jesus died for our sins on the cross. He took the penalty that you and I deserve to pay. And then after he died on the cross, he rose from the grave and he's alive today and he's the only hope for sinners. And the Bible says that if anyone will call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. If anyone will believe in their heart that Jesus rose from the dead and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved. Because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, you can be forgiven. You can be saved. You can go to heaven when you die if you only believe in Christ. 
You're saved when you place your trust fully in Christ as your only hope for salvation. You call on his name to save you. When you call on his name to save you, he saves you. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And listen, people really, really need to hear the good news. In Hernando, I'll say this, and this may be a surprising statement to you, but there are some people in Hernando that have never heard a clear gospel presentation. And we know that there are billions in the world who've never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. And so let's lay down our life and follow Jesus for his glory and the sake of the gospel. That's what Jesus calls us to here and he gives us some motivation to do it. These eternal things matter so much more than, than temporal things. So you say, wait, how do I become a nobody for Jesus? Realization, accept Christ's invitation, and remember Christ's motivation to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. What if we took these words seriously? And what if when people thought of Longview Point Baptist Church, their thought was, just a bunch of ordinary folks, Excited about Jesus. Just a bunch of ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. Just a bunch of nobodies for Jesus.